Hello, and welcome to Social Workers Rise, where we inspire social workers to connect, expand their knowledge, and change more lives than they ever thought possible. We will talk everything social work on every level from micro to macro. We are going to hear stories of social workers who are doing big things, learn new skills, and most importantly, give you actionable steps to make a difference today. Let's go. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Social Workers Rise podcast. My name is Katherine Moore. I am so glad to have you. We are here this week with our guest, Christina Broderick Royce, LSW. And this is actually her second time on the podcast. So welcome back, Christina. I'm excited to be back. <laughs> yeah, so glad to have you. So I, you know, just as like a side note, I absolutely love the work that Christina does because she is just a trailblazer in the entrepreneurship world as far as social workers being able to empower themselves to leave any kind of toxic work environment, to make the money that they want, and to really just achieve that freedom that a lot of people are looking for. And Christina, I feel like you're such a trailblazer and a leader in this area, and you provide so much hope to us fellow social workers. So thank you so much for the work that you do. With that being said, tell us about what you do. Who are you? Yeah, so I am Christina Broderick-Royce. I'm a licensed social worker in the state of New Jersey, um, and I am the founder of Intention Elevation. We are a consulting and education firm that works to elevate and amplify historically marginalized communities in those that support them. And so what that means is that we do work in the consulting side. We're working with education programs, organizations, corporations on becoming more mental health forward. Um, and then on the education side, we do business coaching for social workers, equipping them with strategies, skills, resources, and support so that they can take their own skills and turn it into a profitable service-based business. Awesome. So today we're going to talk about... So today we're going to talk about how to be an entrepreneur outside of the traditional private practice, right? Yes. So when we think about entrepreneurship as social workers, our main thought goes to private practice, yep. right? But there's so much more outside of that. And we're going to touch on just three of these areas. And specifically because you have an upcoming social work entrepreneurship summit that yep. is going to really talk about all of these different areas and how to get started in that, which is the, the number one question people have is how to get started. And with that, I'm just curious to hear from you, like what are the like three different areas that we could even consider going into with the skills that we already have right now outside of private practice? And I, I'm so, so glad that we are having this conversation. I went to a conference this past weekend and it's just, you keep hearing it. Private practice, private practice, private practice, private practice. And nothing against private practice, but then you also hear the next piece is I'm burnt out from private practice. I'm yes. so burnt out from it. I have to see so many clients. The summer hits, no one's coming to sessions. Like people are having such a hard time. And uh, I was able to get into some really, really impactful conversations, what I'm going to talk about in a second, as to how they can take their same skill sets, serve the same communities, but just in a different way um, to still be able to increase the impact as well as their income. 
Um, and so those three, right, uh, that I like to say, this is not an exhaustive list. <laughs> People can definitely do more, um, but is being a consultant, number one, being a trainer or a facilitator, number two, as well as being a coach is number three. Those are like the three, uh, uh, I think, common ones that makes it a little bit easier for us and our skill sets to transfer into. Interesting. So let's break those down one by one. First, you said consultant. So I've I've heard this word and I have a general idea of like what they do, but I know that this was not talked about in grad school like ever. Um, <laughs> consultant was something that I always envisioned, you know, other people with like an MBA, a master's in business to mm -hmm. be able to do. So, so what would a consultant do and in, in like, what, what does that even look like? Right. Um, and it's funny, this is bringing up this like video I saw once where they were talking to like, you know, like the big three consulting agencies and it was just like, what do consultants do? And it's like this, no one ever like has a straight answer. Um, but essentially the way I like to define it is that as a consultant, especially as a social worker, you're helping organizations break down and strategize and get support as well as a solution, um, for a problem. Right. And so what that means is um, so I may do consulting in program design and development. And so the university may say we want to um, increase our mental health initiatives, but like we don't really know how to do that. And so they'll bring our team in and we help them um, best understand what they're looking for, understand the needs of the students and help them develop a program initiative that they will then implement, right? Like we're not the ones that are implementing all of the stuff. We're not there on campus every day. We just serve as a consultant, helping them piece together what's needed um, as when they go out and they do the implementation. Um, and so as social workers, right, that could be one, an area that we do consulting in, program design and development. A lot of us have been able to do that within our social work roles, right? We create programs within our agencies, right, um, and different initiatives, but not all places have people on staff to do that or have people on staff that can do that in a specific skilled way. And so places that I work in, they know that they want to do some mental health programming, but they don't, they don't have the mental health staff. And so what we do is say, well, how can we utilize the skill sets of your uh, employees to integrate mental health into that? Um, we also can do consulting around um, assessment and evaluations. Again, it's something that I think all of us have been trained to do assessments and evals. You can just do that, right? Where they bring in people to just do the assessment, the evaluation, then you hand it back to the team and they take it and they run with it. Um, we can also do strategy. I had a university call me and say that they have the, the staff, they just need a strategic advisor. They need someone to like, they have all the pieces to the puzzle, but they don't know what puzzle they're creating. And so they need someone to help them figure out, well, what should be the overall goal here? How do we measure success, right? Um, and from a proactive lens, they wanna help, they have about uh, 9,000 students in just their department. And so what does success look like for these 9,000 students? to proactively take care of their mental health. And so that is a way that as a consultant, you can come in and you can provide your services and your skills that you already possess for organizations that are looking for someone to bridge that gap. Yes, I love that. And I knew another social worker back in the day when I was in medical social work, that she was a consultant for skilled nursing facilities. Mm -hmm. So these nursing facilities who 
would call her in to either like design their program. What does a social engagement type of activity look like? The activities calendar, you know, who do they need to hire? What kind of skill set do they need to have? And also be there to consult when there's like something like a crisis going on or they need some sort of additional support. Like what do we do with this family and this client? And so that was her role. She didn't actually work at the nursing facility, but she was able to help various facilities and make a very good paycheck mm -hmm. doing so. Because for a lot of the organizations, it's a little bit uh, more cost effective to kind of have someone come in, do this, set it up versus like paying someone a full-time salary, right? And so that it can be very um, beneficial for organizations to work with consultants in that capacity. Definitely, definitely. So next we're gonna to touch on trainer. Hey, it's Catherine here. I hope you are enjoying this episode. We're going to take a quick break to listen to these ads from our sponsors. If you're planning to take the BBS Law and Ethics exam, the ASWB Master's or Clinical Licensure exam, or if you're studying for the MFT exam, then you need a proven program that can help you understand the exam questions and pass with confidence. If this is you, I highly recommend the Therapist Development Center. I personally use TDC to pass my law and ethics and clinical exams and found the program provided me with everything I needed to pass with confidence. TDC's program integrates various ways of learning in an organized fashion, containing all of the information you need to pass without the overwhelm. And now, bonus, TDC is also offering a library of continuing education courses that fulfill your license renewal requirements and will support you in your career development. If this sounds like something that you need, visit their website, therapistdevelopmentcenter.com and use the code SWRISE10 at checkout to receive 10% off any of their CE courses, including their brand new course, On the Edge of Life, an introduction to suicidality. You can also check out the link in the show notes. What, what is, you know, what exactly are we talking about? I mean, I think we have a pretty good understanding, like, okay, we train people, but what do we train them on? And, you know, what does this look like? Right. So being a trainer or being a facilitator, um, it could be on a, on a myriad of, of, of things. I think about um, one of our former social work incubator members um, and what she does, she helps facilitate trainings within the child protective services arena. Um, and she's helping to enhance some of the foundational practices and skills, right? So they bring her in, bring her in as the trainer to do so. Um, in my company, we do a lot of both trainings and facilitation. So, for example, tomorrow we're going to Arizona to work with a college out there and facilitate a three-hour training for their staff. Um, and their staff that are directors and program managers um, that are looking particularly on how we can best strengthen their skill set to support first-generation low-income students. Um, and so we're going in with the three hours, right? You're bringing the chart paper and the markers, um, but helping them really think differently, get some better strategy and a roadmap that, that they can then go out and, and for the rest of the school year, feel more equipped. Um, and then even the facilitation, you can facilitate workshops, 
Um, you can facilitate uh, different speaking engagements. And that's actually a big driver of a lot of our business is we do a lot of presentations, a lot of workshops for students, for parents, for organizations um, around the foundational topics of mental health, talking about stress management, talking about mindfulness, talking about support and destigmatizing therapy, right? And so a lot of organizations are looking for people to facilitate these kinds of conversations, right? They know that they're not skilled, but they need someone to facilitate the conversation with their, their demographic, their audience, their community. And so they look for people like us to bring in. So that is what it can look like as a trainer or facilitator. They tend to be shorter, meaning like as a consultant, that can usually be maybe a couple of weeks, a couple of months, maybe a year, depending on how long that engagement is. As a trainer or a facilitator, you might be coming in for 60 minutes, 90 minutes, maybe a couple hours, right? It's not as long-term as it may be as a consultant. Okay. And what kind of financial return are we looking at here? And I know that there's a massive range, right? But for, for yourself or for the people in your coaching program, what has been the range like for consultant and then also for trainer? Um, so for consultant, right, I can give some of my current ones. I think that's easier off the top of my mind. Right now we're starting two consulting contracts and they are both over $10,000. Um, and in terms of my time and my energy and my effort, it probably comes out to about maybe 10 to 15 hours of work, right? Over okay. about three to four months. So not bad. Um, actually, it's probably less than that. It's probably about like closer to six to eight hours of work, right? Um, it's not really that they're, they, the hours is what makes it uh, the type of contract it is. It's more so the expertise and the skill set that we're bringing and the innovation, right? Um, and then for our facilitations and our trainings, um, a lot of that can depend on the where it is. So again, I can use recency tomorrow, that one that we're going to in Arizona. Um, that one is about almost 9,000. Um, to go there for the day for the three hours, right? But of course, travel, flight, hotel, you know, all of that stuff uh, is included, um, as well as another one we're doing in Virginia in a couple of weeks, that one's about 10. And so it can vary, but I also have some smaller ones, right? I can have a local place here in New Jersey that wants us to come out. We did a university one um, a couple of weeks back and for the hour that they had us come in, that was about $3,000. Um, so it can vary uh, depending on your market, depending on where you're located, depending on how you're offering that service. That's why when people are like, how much should I charge? It definitely depends on like your expenses and things like that. I have facilitators that go out. Um, and so that is built into the cost as well is that I have to pay the facilitators to go out and facilitate. Um, so that's also some things that we have to consider too, when it comes to what it looks like for pricing and, and, um, how much we charge. Definitely. Yeah. And I've seen some people where they provide their, they have a specialty, right? Which we do mental health and they're charging anywhere from, like you said, like 2,500 up to, I mean, I've heard a hundred thousand. Yeah. Right. For like speaking and consulting and offering yeah. um, courses or curriculum. So yeah. there is such a massive range. Like the, the options are endless. Yeah, we have an online course that we sell. Um, we've had almost 3,000 students go through our online course. Um, and we've gone up to about 15,000 a place will play, uh, an organization will pay for that. Um, I have a colleague, he has a couple of books and he's a mental health um, speaker. Uh, he's not a social worker, he's not licensed, anything like that, but he just has a really powerful story. He's an advocate, um, has written his books, but he um, went to a school, um, an organization, an association, uh, I think they paid him like 25 grand 
Um, so it can really like stretch, right? I think, and that's why I love <laughs> when we can work for ourselves, right? Um, because it's like, we can really be able to set like the standard. Uh, I think we have to collectively as social workers, let people know, like we're not settling for less. And people know that we, everyone says social workers are underpaid and we keep telling society that. So they expect us to, to deal with less. And we have to be the ones that are like, no, <laughs> we are not. Because if people who do not have half of our skill set, half of our training, zero licenses can also demand um, some type of, of uh, revenue in this market, so can we, right? Um, so that's a part of why I get really passionate about this work. Yes, yes. And that is so powerful, Christina. And the, the interesting thing that you mentioned here that I wanted to bring our listeners' attention to is you're not charging per hour. Yes. You're charging for the skill set, mm -hmm. the expertise, the education, sometimes your story, the experience that you're bringing. So, you know, a lot of us are low income and come from that like hourly wage type of mentality when this is a, an entire mindset shift away from that hourly wage, right? Even therapists, they're like, oh, per hour, how can I charge per hour? You know, because you, you are experienced, you have the expertise. If you can provide solutions in one hour, that's going to take people 10 years to figure out on their own. Mm -hmm. It's worth it. It is worth however much you need to charge for that. And we can still, I think the, the hard part is for folks is we want to serve certain communities, right? Communities that we care about, communities that may not have the financial resources to afford us. But one big thing that I always say is then we go to the people that have the best purchasing power that can support us, right? As I said, I work primarily with first generation, low income communities, right? They don't pay me directly. The organizations pay us. Most of them have budgets that they need to drill down and spend anyways. They're looking for people to bring in and money to spend. Um, we just have to make sure that they know about us, right? So, yeah. <laughs> definitely, definitely. I love it. I love it. And last up is a coach. So yeah. there's, there seems to be this tension between therapists and coach, mostly between the therapists, yeah. because they're kind of like, okay, I have all this experience, all these expertise, all these degrees, all these licenses. And then here comes a coach trying to like charge triple, quadruple the price of my hourly rate or the rate that I get through insurance. But I see it as the others, like from another perspective of if we're able to bring our expertise to the na national population, mm -hmm. why would we not? So, so what, when, I guess, what does a coach do and how is that different than a therapist? Um, I think it's, it's muddy because like the coaching industry can be, it's so vast, right? You can be the, the regular, the fitness coach, right? Our financial coach, but then there's also all of these like anxiety coaches and like trauma coaches. And I think I agree, like it, it definitely blurs the line um, but what I like to, the way that I kind of create the line, I think people should be able to like be really clear, um, is if you have the skill set to know whether or not somebody requires more intensive direct treatment, that should be therapy, right? And you should be able to sit in your professional seat and be able to communicate that and know the difference, right? The same way that we know whether or not someone is diagnosed with something or not, we need to be able to have the ability to say, okay, I can understand how this may be uh, 
perfectly fine to do as a coach, but actually this is starting to teeter into like, you need more true therapeutic support and resources. Um, and so as a coach, right, it's just, it's the ability to work with individuals um, directly, like one-on-one -on -one or as a group um, to help them achieve the, the different goals and milestones that they have. And so for us as social workers, I've seen an amazing array of what this looks like. I said at this conference I was at, um, people blending their skills with um, being a financial social work, right? And so they're talking about the mindset piece, the financial piece, like how they're helping people in those spaces. Um, we have a past incubator member and she does uh, keto coaching. Uh, so she's licensed and certified in a couple different areas. So she's blending her social work background and license there um, with all her, like her fitness certifications and things, right? Um, but you guys said this can happen on what's called either the B2B or the B2C level, meaning on the B2B is business to business where organizations can actually pay you to be the coach for their employees, right? So maybe they need uh, a wellness coach. And so you're able to help the um, employees with their well-being. Um, and then you're maybe, again, you sit in your, your expertise and you can say whether or not maybe you need to divert them to the EAP for more direct therapeutic support, or is this something you can continue to do within that coaching space? Um, or on the B2C side, business to consumer, where people are directly coming to you and paying you directly to support them in achieving their goals. I love that because there's such stigma around mental health still. Mm -hmm. And if you, if it takes a coach to be, to be the one to say, okay, I need more help in this area. And the, and then the, it takes a coach to be like, okay, you know, I'm able to help you this way, but you really need to look at, at, you know, at getting therapy, mm -hmm. right? Because there's more of a need. And so if yeah. that person can be that bridge to help that person get more in-depth therapy, I am all for it because yes. I mean, culturally, we get help from all sorts of different places that is appropriate, right? So therapist is one, but also there's the minister, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of people go there when they're suffering. Um, there's the counselor, there's, which I've, I've had like, oh, you're the counselor, not the therapist, mm -hmm. right? So whatever term people need to use, if a coach makes them feel yeah. like that's culturally appropriate, I'm all for it. Yes. And it's all about remembering that we are still bound by a code of ethics, Right. And so we don't want to be out here doing things unethically. If you are not skilled, if you are not trained to support someone in a specific way, then please don't, even if it's using the word coach. <laughs> yeah. Like still are bound by a code of ethics. And so you you don't want to get yourself in any trouble and or cause, cause harm to other people as well. Definitely. Definitely. Awesome. Well, I am so grateful for you, Christina. And I want to let the listener know that there is an opportunity to learn more. If you want to learn the how behind what we're talking about here, then you definitely need to be at the Social Work Entrepreneurship Summit, which Christina is the uh, spearheading, the leader, the president, CEO. I don't know. <laughs> You're putting it everything together. So tell us what was your vision for this and what can we expect when, when we attend? Yeah, so the, the, the summit came about. So I run a longer program called the Social Work Entrepreneurship Incubator. Um, it's about six months long. And so I'm in the middle of cohort three, but there's this need that I'm recognizing. I'm like, okay, how can I support people in this in-between who are not yet in the incubator because we're not the doors aren't opening up for the next cohort, but they need support. And everybody's coming to me with the same questions, right? How do I get started? How do I start getting clients? Like, how do I market myself? And so me and my team were like, okay, let's put together a summit. 
which is kind of like a, a intro, if you will, actually into the incubator. What I mean by that is that we are bringing in our trusted experts to cover a lot of the foundational pieces that we need to know and understand when it comes to running a business. And so while I always like to sit in my strategy seat and I will be leading sessions um, on helping folks understand how they can amplify their skills, their social work skills into a business, because sometimes people don't understand like all those pieces, right? So that's my job is I can help you take those pieces as a social worker and say, cool, this is how we can turn this into a business. But then we have our experts on finances, right? Like how do you run a profitable business? Question, how do I pay myself? How much should I pay myself? What about taxes? We get that information covered by our expert on finances, Ashley. Then of course, as we mentioned earlier, the mindset piece is the biggest piece. The biggest piece. I actually wanted her to kick off the conference, but she's in California and she was like, that's really early for me. And I was like, that's fair. That's fair. Um, so she's coming in the first day in the afternoon, but it like time and time again, and even me, I've been doing this for years. The mindset stuff will keep us back. It keeps us playing small. It keeps us not charging what we think we can, right? As we said earlier, it keeps us in this mindset of hourly and like, how can I do this? Right. And so she's actually a licensed social worker herself. Her business is all centered around and has been for years on helping business owners with mindset. And so I was like, oh, I have to bring her in. Um, so that's gonna be really great. And then we have our, our experts on marketing and sales, right? The like the crux think of running a business. You it's like you you can create it, but then you gotta tell people about it. And that's what the marketing piece is. How do we actually market ourselves and market our business and um, so that we can next expert do sales, right? How do we actually sell? We are terrified of selling. How do, what do we say on a sales call and like all of that stuff. So we have our experts there. Um, and then we have our beautiful, uh, entrepreneurial panel, because I think it's important for people to hear the real, real, like, what is it really like being a social worker and being a business owner? And what does that look like? Um, and so I'm so excited to have you Catherine on that panel. Yay. Um, the, uh, amazing joy Britt and Harlany Vasquez. Uh, to have the four of us have a, just a, a true, honest, real conversation about what it looks like to be a social work entrepreneur. And so that is like what the summit is all about. The vision, again, is just for folks to be able to come in to get that clarity, to get strategy, to get support um, as they're looking to build and or uh, grow their service-based business. I love this because this is perfect for you if you're at all interested or currently pursuing any of the the topics that we talked about today, consultant, trainer, coach, and even if you are in private practice, you can still benefit from this summit. Is that right, Christina? Yes, ma'am, right? If you are in private practice or even you're thinking of a nonprofit, they're still businesses, right? And so there is a lot of business acumen to learn um, in the summit that will be very transferable into either of those avenues, right? Um, as I was talking to someone this weekend who has a nonprofit, uh, and I was like, well, thinking about these areas, right? Consulting, training, speaking, how can you generate revenue from those streams to then funnel into your nonprofit, right? Um, as a private practice, yeah, we're not talking about panels and getting therapy clients, but I'm sure you want to know how to have a profitable private practice. I'm sure you want to know how to market your private practice effectively. How do you get more people in the door? You will learn all of those types of skills that will transfer either into that private practice space and nonprofit space, but then in general for a service-based business. The only thing we do say we won't do is products, meaning if like you're selling t-shirts or mugs, right? Like we're not going to really cover that piece. But again, can still be helpful if you want to know the business basics. That is what we'll definitely cover. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Christina. And go to the link in the show notes, click on the link for the summit and snag your ticket there right now, because I don't want you to forget. I know that you're busy. So go there right, right now. Open up your show notes. I'm not kidding. Open up the show notes. And it's I a virtual. Wait. It is virtual. You can tune in yes. from anywhere. You do not have to be here physically. It's virtual September 23rd and September 24th. Yes. And if you need the replay, snag the VIP option because it is definitely worth it to get all of the knowledge, get it in two times, three times, four times if you have to. So thank you so much, Christina. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of Social Workers Rise. If you love this episode, be sure to subscribe and text this episode to a friend. If you want more, there are a few ways we can get to know each other and work together. First, definitely subscribe to the Friday resource email list. The link is in the show notes. And that's where you can learn more about the courses I offer, including clinical essentials for the future therapist and the Pulse Basics for Medical Social Workers. I'll also be sending out occasional tips and resources and other happenings within the social work industry. And for all your clinical supervision needs, be sure to visit risedirectory.com. This is a national directory of clinical supervisors for social workers, and we also provide free resources that you can use within your own clinical supervision. Lastly, if you have more individualized needs, I do offer coaching, individual consultations, and am available for public speaking engagements for social workers and change makers. Lastly, the boring legal stuff, but very important. The information in this podcast is not meant to be a supplement for therapy, professional advice, or clinical supervision. This content is provided as is solely for informational purposes. It is not legal, health, or safety advice. I am not advising you as a therapist. Organizations should engage their own experts to ensure any adoptive measures are compliant with applicable laws and standards in their jurisdictions. The opinions expressed by individuals or organizations are their own and do not reflect the views or opinions of Social Workers Rise or Catherine Moore. References to specific products or organizations do not constitute any endorsement or recommendations by Social Workers Rise.